All right, welcome to the inaugural Seattle Mariners Musings podcast. I don't know how frequent these will be. I probably should introduce myself before I say more. This is Tim Chalberg, the person who has written 500-some posts over the last five years. Now this is my voice, and I actually have a guest with me as well, my good friend Alan Schliebe. Hi there. How you doing tonight, Alan? I'm doing great. It's an honor. It's a real, truly an honor to be here. There's a couple of reasons why Alan's on this podcast. For one, he is going to become a contributor, not just on the podcast, but he gave me a piece of writing he would like to feature in a cup, maybe in the next week or two. It looks great. Thought I might as well, if we're going to do a podcast, I'll just uh, introduce him before you actually read the piece. It's just about baseball in Pacific Northwest. I think it's fun. And you get to think it's fun, too. <laughs> yeah, in my humble opinion, uh, it'll be fun to read. It was fun to write, and uh, I believe everyone will enjoy it. Everyone. Everyone. Uh, so there's that. And also, there's been a fun project I've got to be a part of that I've kept somewhat secret for the last month, month and a half. I got uh, approached by uh, DeCapo Press with a couple baseball books. And I asked him, I was like, well, do you want a review or something? And they said, sure. So I got a couple free baseball books to look at before they were released. They come out March 15th. Yes, they do. And I thought, well, geez, I was a math major and just really like baseball. But Alan here actually looked into English and writing and such things at PLU where we met. I dabbled. I, I dabbled yeah. a bit. Yes. Well, he dabbled a lot more than me. So I was like, why... <laughs> Why not call the? Why not take my number one fan on my initial podcast and also have him help read through the books with me? So we trade off these two books, yep. which I will actually name the titles and stuff as we get into them. But yeah. we're going to go back and forth. You're going to hear a dialogue, and that's how we're going to do a review. Instead of doing a write up on the books, we're going to do a podcast, it's, and then yeah, it's 2012. You got to use technology yeah, exactly. now. Exactly. No, no one writes anything or reads anything anymore. Exactly. <laughs> Other than these authors, of course. <laughs> 2012. Reviews are, are, are... Written reviews are a thing of the past. Yes. We're on the cutting edge here at Seattle. That's right. Musings. We're moving into the future quickly. Quickly. And the future starts with the summer of 1968, of all places. So the first book is called Summer of 68 by Tim Wendell. Or Wendell. Mm-hmm. Um, real brief... Plot synopsis, I'll give that, and I'll just hand it off to Alan for your thoughts, and we can go back and forth. Uh, 1968 was an interesting baseball season. That was the year of the pitcher. We had Bob Gibson dominating the NL. We had Denny McLean dominating the AL, and they met in the World Series and actually faced off head-to-head and ticked away. Alan, what did you really like? What do you, you want more of in the book? Well, I mean, as far as it, it was really great, especially uh, early on, you, you know, weaving in the events uh, that were occurring at the time of 468, a uh, tumultuous year, to say the least, uh, in politics and sports and, and life in general in America, uh, really. Uh, you yeah. had, you know, the riots in, in Detroit uh, at the time while the Tigers are, are making this amazing run through the AL and onto the World Series, um, you know, as well. There's... The MLK assassination that year, of course, as well as uh, Kennedy assassination as well. I mean, lots of people getting shot and killed, uh, you know, in Detroit and, and across the country as well. And, and really, it's just, uh, he, he weaves the, those events into the into how they affected the baseball season that year, um, you know, really well throughout most of the book. And, um, you know, also touches on other sports events, sporting events of that year. There were huge, the Olympics was that year in Mexico City. Um, some great stories and anecdotes about that, uh, as well as the NFL coming to, uh, a, you know, rising to the occasion at the time, I guess, and 
So that, that was great. I, I think a lot of the anecdotes he chose to feature in there were very entertaining. Uh, many of them were just kind of funny. Uh, you know, one that, that uh, comes to mind for sure, at least, uh, you know, is regarding baseball was uh, uh, Louis Tian, a Cleveland Indians pitcher at that time. You know, there was one uh, interesting point, the guy I think any baseball fan would really like, is, uh, talks about uh, how you know, after the 68 season, he wanted to play winter ball. But the owners at the time, the Indians, did not want him to play winter ball because they didn't want him to hurt his elbow, which he said had been hurting, you know, that had been bothering him previously. And But he, he, he was adamant that, uh, you know, he needs to play winter ball to keep it loose and, and stay at the high level pitching he was doing at the time. And uh, But uh, they chose to sit him that, that offseason. And the following year, he, he struggled quite a bit, possibly related to that. Maybe the owners should listen to him. Maybe not. Uh but uh, are you suggesting there's a reason the Indians still haven't won a World Series since 1948? <laughs> I think that was the last year. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'm not. I, I'm not. I don't want to, you know, put anyone on the spot there or put anyone to blame. But that, that that could have something to do with it. When you have a star young pitcher like that, who everyone, numerous players have quoted throughout this whole book. I mean, talk about him, how great he was. He's really one of the top of the game. You know, along there with Gibson and McLean and. Uh, you know, and, and Lolich and the other guys featured in the, in this, in this story. Uh, yeah, you know, I, that might have something to do with it. <laughs> but, a good young pitcher in a market with a bad baseball team without much offense. I haven't, I haven't heard of too many teams in recent memory that have tried <laughs> No, that. gosh, I mean, has there been any? Uh, I, I don't know. I think I heard a little about the Seattle team that's similar to that. You know, a young pitch, starting pitcher. You know, no offense to back him up, though. That, that puts a strain on the pitcher and a lot of pressure, I think, on him to perform at the highest level all the time. It, it, it might. I don't think you win a lot of uh, World Series that way. <laughs> no, I don't think you do. I don't think you do either. But you do get a really nice looking court. With <laughs> yellow shirts. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And that's what baseball is all that's about. That's what really. it matters. Free yeah. t-shirts. Exactly. <laughs> but I mean, that's, that's one particular story I thought was really interesting and definitely relates a, a quite a bit to the team that, that we cover here on the blog. Tim covers, I guess. Oh, you do too now. Oh, well, thank you very the much. The grand intro. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I kind of live up to that at this point. Uh, but um, some things that kind of interesting is he kind of, with the football stories and, and the Olympic stories, doesn't really connect those back to, I mean, the main focus of the book, baseball. I mean, obviously, you know, you know on the cover is, I mean, and even featured in the book are photos of just various, you know, baseball related thing, players and things going on that year. Um, and he doesn't really weave in the, the football stuff and the Olympic stuff as much as he weaves in a lot of the political turmoil at the time. Um, and the, uh, you know, kind of environment that these players are having to, you know, travel in and, and handle while trying to just focus on this game, which kind of, you know, the events that are going around, on around them definitely sort of, brings a little more perspective to the game of baseball and that it is just a game, you know. But at the same time, it was an escape from all the chaos and the, you know, like, tumultuous times of that year. Just in that year alone, all the things going on. I mean, people had to, had to escape somehow. And, but, you know, the NFL stories just don't connect back to it as well, I mean, as the, the Olympic stories in particular. I think those are two kind of things that, almost could have had their own books in a way because there was so much going on uh, with those at the time. You know, there have been books. I mean, he, re- he references the uh, 
book that was written all about the Mexico City Olympics and the way the, the runners had to struggle with the altitude um, and how they just didn't they didn't train for it and so it just they you know didn't couldn't succeed they were just <laughs> there's no way that they could have competed with some of the trainers to the uh, I think it was the some of the South African or African uh, runners that were you know had trained at high altitudes for for preparing for the Olympics but uh, the American trainers. No, don't want to listen to the, the to the guy with a doctorate in, in this in this you know no no not going to train him at altitude just throw him out down Mexico City. Um. I, I did enjoy that anecdote because on one hand I was like, it's so American of them to just go, we're just going to run in Texas or Louisiana or wherever we want, we're going to show up and win. Yeah. And then the other part of me was like, this is America where we spend billions on sports. Why did it not cross anyone's mind that maybe we should go into the mountains? Maybe, possibly. And, you know, I was, and I was just reading the, you know uh, earlier today uh, in an SI recently. There's an article in SI about a couple of runners training, uh, London runners that are training for the Olympics, and they're training in like you know the, the mountains of Utah, running like that. Even though London's at sea level, but they're training in, in altitude because they realize if I can do this in altitude, I could do even better at sea level. Wow. <laughs> Look how far we've come. <laughs> at the time, no, don't care. And I think the runner even assisted multiple times. If it was at the rest was at sea level, I would have dominated. I would have been great. But no. One one main thing I really loved about the book, though, uh, for sure, was just the fact that World Series and the way he presented that was really solid. Um, he dug up a lot of, you know, every little detail about that World Series. I feel like I sat there and watched it, the, you know, the way he was writing about it. Uh, he even included the box scores, well, it's just great to see kind of just how the game ended up, which that was a nice touch and, um, as well. But that, that World Series was definitely, it's got to be one for the ages. Um, you know, what was your favorite part about it, Tim? Uh, you touched on a lot of stuff that I really liked. I thought the strength of the book was the anecdotes. I thought he had a lot of great just little stories about both teams. I felt like he really gave us a really good feel for the character of the season, not not just what happened, but what it felt like as people went through it. Nineteen. One reason I was really excited to write the write this book. I definitely did not write this book, although his name is Tim. I, I like my Tims. <laughs> but, um, one reason I was really excited to read this book is I've always been kind of interested to research nineteen sixty eight for myself because I knew it was the year of the pitcher. I knew Gibson and McLean. I knew one was black and one was white, and that there was a lot of racial tension at the time, and I was just really curious. I hadn't really seen anything about that. Because I almost look at stats all day. I would never show up in the numbers, that kind of thing. But it's like, were people at the time aware of that? Bob Gibson became a Hall of Famer, one of the all-time great pitchers. McLean burned out. I mean, he's still a part of baseball history, but he's not Bob Gibson level. So I was like, at the time, were they equal? Were they seen as peers or... You know, what happened there, and I felt like he really addressed a lot of that question for me, even even though he only talked about 1968, and a lot of time, in a lot of ways, they were equals that year. You could just see with their personalities and their lifestyles that one was much more dedicated to his craft than the other. Bob Gibson was out to just, I think, come one step short of killing both his opponents. <laughs> Absolutely. He was intense. He was very intense. Intense. And Danny McLean literally went to Las Vegas to do singing after the World Series. So, <laughs> he was uh, a very interesting character. I gotta say, you know, if uh, we, we really don't have a modern-day equivalent to a Danny McLean. No. Which is really a shame. Um, you know, a guy that can just pitch a whole season and 
win it. I think he won a Cy Young that year, even. Yes, and uh, MVP. They were both Cy Young and MVP. Cy Young and MVPs. Gosh. And then, uh, which just speaks a lot to this season, is pitchers' dominance in general. Interesting. And he, Gibson and McLean could not be more opposite. Yeah. Which is a great... The juxtaposition of those two, you know, pitching against each other in World Series uh, was amazing. And, and that World Series in general, just so many different things going on that were great. I mean, the Al line coming back from injury for that to, to, to get his, you know, his ring, that was the great story. Um, it's a great story. I Willie Horton, I really enjoyed his role in the book. Absolutely. He was a good ball player, but he was... He was really a, a hero, at least in my view, the way he's portrayed too, and, and a true one. Where he, there's this great story he references multiple times. I didn't mind him reminding yeah. us of it, of him actually going out in the streets in the middle of the riots with his Tigers uniform on, trying to split things up because yeah. he was on guard duty. It's a great image, really, for the whole yeah. book. Yeah, which was great. Kurt Flood, I think, is a really noble character as well in the book. I mean, fantastic yeah. ball player. He was truly one of the best center fielders of his generation. Yes. Made the big flub in the World Series. Or flub or not, he yeah. Wendell, I think he tried to kind of leave it up for interpretation, but I think just the people he interviews kind of really kind of put it on him. Except for Bob Gibson. Bob Gibson defensively. If, if it's one on ten, game. Bob Gibson is still usually going to win that battle. Absolutely. So. I, th- I think any, yeah, anyone would agree with that. Uh, definitely. And at that point, it's funny how teams didn't never learn that uh, you piss off Bob Gibson, you're, you're not going to score a run no. the next day of the game. So don't do it. Be Just, lucky to make contact. Be lucky, yeah. If anything's going to make contact, it's going to be the ball at your head, probably. So yeah, I'm, I'd certainly rec- I think we agree this is a good book for a general audience. You don't have to be a baseball fan. Especially the NFL stuff I found really interesting. The, yes. the track stuff I found interesting. The Absolutely. political backdrop, it was not... I mean, if, it's a book a little bit politically charged, but not in as far as, like, ideology views. No. I think he does a successful job of weaving in the political events, because they definitely did shake the nation when they did happen, um, I think. And, but, yeah, this, the other sports didn't really get to weave in too well. Although, like you said, the writing and the anecdotes, anecdotes were definitely uh, strong points in, the, in this story, in the book here. And, uh, you know, he, he approaches everything with... with as uh, you know, race, some of the racially charged stuff and employee was, he approaches everything very. Uh, I guess you know, takes the middle ground, takes the high ground on a lot of things, and, and leaves it up to interpretation. You know, doesn't try to give you the feed you the opinion, his own opinions or views. Whereas he just kind of reports them as that happened, and that was enough for most of the stories here. Certainly, interesting time in American history, interesting time in baseball history. Yeah. Put the two together, it makes an interesting book. Definitely. Another interesting book, a little more lighthearted, I think we yeah. both agree, is uh, the second <laughs> book we got to review. Nothing Against Summer 68, it was really nice. Um, maybe nice to read them together because they were different enough. Absolutely. Um, the second one is Trading Manning by Jim Gollo. Yes, Gollo. Basic storyline, uh, this guy's a father. He's more than a father, he's also a baseball writer. He's done some freelance work, and he still does freelance work, and obviously wrote the book. But a uh, huge avid baseball fan. He's got his nine-year-old son who is turning into a huge baseball fan. Father's beaming with pride, just feeding him into the game, loving it. The classic, like, boy and father, just American dream thing going. And then steroids hit. And father just doesn't know what to do about it. And so he does what he can with his connections, and he basically floats around the 
a good chunk of the nation looking for answers with his son. And uh, a lot of points, hilarity ensues, but I, at the end, there's there's several poignant moments as well. And you definitely, at least I got the feel that I was just right in the middle of the relationship between um, him and his son. And there's a lot of humor. You can tell he clearly loves his son. He really enjoys being around his son. He enjoys what he's doing. And then just all these struggles come up in the middle of it because of the steroids. Uh, even though it's kind of heavy subject matter and he gets into some of the effects of steroids, it's it's not a tell-all Game of Shadows book. And it doesn't even pretend to be. It doesn't try to be. That's not its purpose. But um, even with the heavier subject matter there, it stays mostly lighthearted until he finally starts doing his trip around the nation looking for answers. And even then, it doesn't get heavy as much as I think it gets just really... I get poignant, might be a little strong, but definitely a little more a little more reflective, contemplative of what's going on. And then he really is kind of like, loves baseball, hates it because of steroids, wants to abandon the game, but just can't because he loves it too much. And he finds, he and his son find a way to make terms with it. And I mean, I won't spoil the book. Yeah. That's not spoiling it, but. No, no, I think you hit the nail on the head right there with a lot of, a lot of points you made. And, and really, because the, the book, I would say, I mean, it's really about just how, how a father and son can reconcile, you know, as well as how does, how does baseball, you know, reconcile the steroid era, which really, I, I think it's a very time, obviously a very timely book uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, one of which being that it seems like, I mean, we're still, I don't think we're still in the era. I mean, he focuses about, a bit more about, you know, the McGuire, so say, you know, days as well as, you know, the persons of the Mitchell report talks a lot about that. And, you know, him and his, his son and, and his uh, reactions to that. And, and, and I think it touches on, I think any baseball fan who has lived, has, was a fan during that time um, can relate to this and on so many levels. Uh, he really, he, he really uh, kind of, uh, you know, encapsulates, you know, mm-hmm. all, all those feelings that come with, you know, with being a fan during that era. And, and now looking back on the game, how do we as well, you know, how do we look back on that time and, and, you know, we're still figuring that out now is, you know, how do we compare that time to other areas before then? And, and now how do we reconcile, you know, what being a baseball fan after that, you know, yeah. because it really is such, I mean, I'm sure this won't be the last, even the last book written about it, you know, mm-hmm. for sure. And, but what stands this, you know, helps this one stand apart is, is his father son relationship and the stories uh, that they have and the experience they have together, you know, coming through this and, you know, as a father, you know, as a, as a, you know, myself being a kid growing up wanting to be a major leaguer, you know, just like any other kid and, you know, idolizing and worshiping these guys that are these stars that are so good at this game and so amazing to find out that, well, they didn't do it honestly, you know, how do you, how do you handle that as a kid? And I think he, you know, the gala really, you know, touches on that here and, Manages to uh, to really answer some of those questions, but still, you know, because I don't think there are any true answers. You know, there's no right way to handle it, and that's the tough part about it. And he tries tries his, his darndest to, to find answers by going to, you know, various play, former players. I think Scott Brocious is one. Yep. Was uh, he had a great great interview with him, and I thought he had some some interesting insights. Uh, you know, as well as Dirk Hayhurst, a fellow author. Yes. You know, uh, Bullpen Gospels is, is one he did. He just had another book that came out, actually, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, 
as well. And so, I mean, he's, he, he had some great insights as well. You know, he even interviews for, I mean, and for a Mariners fan reading this too. It, yes. So many great moments because uh, it takes place in the Northwest, which is great. A vast majority of it's, uh, you know, he lived on, I think it was Vashon Island. Yeah, Vashon or Bainbridge. Bainbridge, yeah. one of those two. He, uh, you know, much of the book takes place there while they're, you know, his son and him are, are both made big Mariners fans. You know, they even, I think they go to a few games in this book as well. And But he, there's numerous references to, uh, you know, the time that the book was written and how the and current Mariners of that time, you know, he, uh, he mentions Richie Sexton, which of course we all love to. Yeah. He has not many fond memories of Richie Sexton. <laughs> he, he remembers him very similarly to how I remember him. I, exactly. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Many <laughs> swinging and missing. That's how yeah. I remember him. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, he also, he, he even interviews at one point Niehaus and asks him about steroids point blank, pretty, um, intensely. And, uh, Nihaus has an interesting reaction. I'd agree. Yeah. It definitely made me raise my eyebrows as I was reading. Yeah, as a Mariners fan, it's, you know, and um, this kid, he sorts his baseball cards based on guys that are in the Mitchell Report when it comes out, and when he announces someone's in the stories, he separates them, which I think is such a you know emblematic moment of uh, you know really what that meant at the time when, when as a fan like we had to sort out this whole mess and he his way of doing it was separating his baseball cards it's true you know which at that age such a he is such a baseball fan what's even i i like that part when he separated that and then he also started creating the pile of question marks yes he started looking at the backs of their baseball cards and looking for outliers. Yeah, he's a total, total sabermetrics-minded kid here. <laughs> like, at, at 10, you know, 7 years old, I think, if the book starts out, he's 7. And he's naming off Eddie Murray's career home runs just at the dinner table. This is what he did. I'm picturing, actually, he really reminded me, I'm picturing you as that age, Tim. <laughs> just throwing out baseball stuff. I and mean, your parents just being like, yep, okay, you sure don't want to go out and play with it? No, no, you're going to go watch baseball and, and read more baseball stuff. Okay. All right, Tim, <laughs> whatever you say. Sure. So it's funny to me that's that's close to what I was thinking. <laughs> I didn't become a Marist fan until nine, the 95 run is what hooked me in. So oh, I was me too. eight, nine years old, so maybe that was part of me really like listening to this kid like yeah. really get Absolutely. into baseball. I was like, that's when I really got into baseball. I think he was in it before me. But it, it took me a while to branch beyond the Mariners, but yeah. I can still rattle off a little way too much about that 1996 oh, team. You know, we haven't even talked on, on the, the star, I mean, in this book in a, in a few ways. I mean, the title, title guy, Manny, Manny Ramirez. Indeed. He is the title, quite yeah. literally. And uh, many times I think he, he takes some, a lot of great, uh, some shots at him. He did. He brought back some classic moments in Manny history. Uh, I've forgotten about the quote, gases up and so am I. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was... Classic. I was really happy when I, I just, that, for whatever reason, that brought back those warm, fuzzy steroid memories for me. I thought, yeah. oh, yes. <laughs> yes. That's the Manny and, I remember. Uh, yes. And uh, the the wonderful early Dodger years with yes. Manny. With Manny Wood and the dreads. Manny Wood and the dreads. And, I like how you referenced the early Dodger years because he was there for like a year. <laughs> but there really was. Well, the only Dodger years, I suppose. But there was. There was a beginning, middle, and end to his time. There, there definitely was. that short of time there. But yeah. He, uh, he, he's 
special, special guy. I mean, as, as far as, you know, we mentioned Danny McLean in the other book. As, I think anyone that's as close to Danny McLean as we're going to get is Manny Ramirez. I'd, I'd agree with that, to you know? be honest. I, I think that's definitely, he has that flair. He's popular, but he rumps everyone and a lot of people the wrong way. He, uh, you know, I think McLean maybe appreciated the game a bit more, had a little more respect for it in a lot of ways, given Manny's behavior. Um, and, you know, it is a different era with, you know, agents being much more involved in, in the contract negotiations. So there you go. Trading Manny, Summer of 68, both books out March 15th from DeCapo Press. Both enjoyable reads. Yep. Can definitely identify for a general audience. Baseball's going to help you out. Probably find more interesting. Mariners fan for Trading Manny, really probably going to enjoy it. But if you're looking for some enjoyable reads over the summer. Yeah, they're all both available now. We will record another podcast at some point in the future. Until then, this has been Tim Schalberg and Alan Sleepy for Seattle Mayor's Musings. Mm-hmm.